Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me, I'm Howard Parker. On Thursday, September 26, 2019, the IBMA will induct the Kentucky Colonels into the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame. The Colonels played primarily on the West Coast during the early to mid-1960s, but their influence is still felt today in spite of the fact that they recorded only two albums. The Kentucky Colonels consisted of mandolinist Roland White, his brother guitarist Clarence White, Dobroist Leroy Mac McNeese, banjo Billy Ray Latham, and bassist Roger Bush. Only three of the five original members still survive. Billy Ray Latham died in 2018 at the age of 80, and Clarence White was tragically killed by a drunk driver in 1973 at the age of 29. Katie Daly spoke with Roger Bush and asked him to share some of his memories of the Kentucky Colonels. Well, joining me now is Roger Bush. And first, before we talk, let me congratulate you that the Kentucky Colonels are being inducted into the IBMA Hall of Fame down in Raleigh at uh, the end of September. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, how did you get the word that it was going to happen? Oh, I forget his name. I think his first name is Paul. Yes. Uh, called me on the phone and told me it was a happening. And your reaction was? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's been so long that I thought, you know, gosh. And out of the five of us, there's only three of us left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but anyhow, and then as I thought about it for a while and like, like it came in the afternoon, maybe that evening, I'm going, hey, where's man? Oh, I'll, I'm tickled to death. And, well, for you know, those of us who grew up on the East Coast and never had an opportunity to get out to the West Coast for the early days of bluegrass out there, give me a feeling of what it was like, uh, what the scene was, how you got involved in the music. Okay, what was the scene like? There, there were bluegrass people around, and uh, me and my high school buddy, uh, I thought it was funny on country music the other night. Uh, they showed how Ricky Skaggs got up and sang Ruby with Bill Monroe when he was six. Mm-hmm. Well, that same song, Ruby, by the Osborne Brothers and Red Allen, Hillside Picking and Country Singing or something like that. And uh, anyhow, the first song on there is Ruby. And we'd been trying to buy bluegrass records because we liked the banjo, that's what first caught our ear. And this, this lady, a friend of ours, owned a little record shop in El Monte, California, where we grew up. She kept trying to get things for us. Eddie Peabody was pretty prevalent right then. But uh, she finally got this one record by the Osborne Brothers, and we put that first one on her record player, and the goosebumps appeared, and we were just amazed. And that's that's where it really got started, was listening to that and the singing and everything. And then uh, I just worked my fanny off learning to play the banjo. And, you know, and then I got introduced to Earl Scruggs, not to him personally, but in, introduced to Flatten Scruggs on records and, and pointed out how he was on the early Bill Monroe records. And uh, I met a fellow named Walt. Pittman, who is known for making uh, tone risers, 
and he had sent when uh, Earl Scruggs had first tried a couple of things, and he sent him a pair of his, and they became friends over the phone and and uh, talked back and forth. But anyhow, uh, he he made me a neck that had those tone risers in it. And, uh, so I was really getting into it, and he called me up one day, and he says, hey, there's a good bluegrass band over in Pomona, which wasn't that far from us. So me and my buddy Larry, me and Larry and Walt Pittman, we jumped in his car and rode out to Pomona. And here's Clarence and Roland and Eric, the three three brothers, and Leroy Mack and Billy Ray Latham. Wow. And they, they were playing bluegrass music like I hear it on the records. And, and you and were you know, as amazed as when you first heard the Osborne brothers, huh? And when I first heard that, I, you know, since since then, you know, down through the years, I've seen the Osborne brothers. I've heard him sing Ruby in, in person, and, and it's, it's just all it's amazing. And uh, anyhow, we, we met Clarence and Roland through uh, Walt Pittman and uh, the other guys, and we got to talking to them, and we, we met them, and we got... Uh, Oh, then I met Don Parmley. Right, of Bluegrass and Cardinals fame. Only this was, uh, well, David Parmley, his son that sang with the Bluegrass Cardinals, he was approximately nine months old at this time. Wow. And Don Parmley was driving for Gillette Trucking, which was a big truck firm out here on the West. He was a driver. And uh, met him, and here he just sit there and play the banjo. And uh, called my buddy over. He's playing guitar, and so I'm playing guitar because Don Don's playing the banjo. And my brother came in, and he knew enough on the mandolin to play along a little bit. And so we're starting to like maybe get a little trio singing going. And Don was real good at that, and uh, he got us singing trios and picking little songs and doing a thing. And so we got us a bass player, and Don says, you know, it's good as you were on the banjo, play the dobro. I'm going to play the banjo. <laughs> so I I had a dobro. And I learned to play the dobro, and we called ourselves the Smoggy Valley Boys. <laughs> we did maybe three or four shows. and But we would get together every once in a while with Clarence and Roland and, uh, uh, they were called the country boys then. Started out as the three little country boys, and then they grew out a little bit, so they just became the country boys. And they played on the local radio stations and, you know, the Sunday morning squeaking deacon show, if you've ever heard of that. Uh, town hall party and all kinds of stuff was out here then. But it was mostly just country, not not bluegrass, bluegrass. So, but anyhow... And when they were on, it was bluegrass for their song or two that they would do. And we got to know them. We played back and forth. We'd get do little picking sessions, you know, with both bands there and play back and forth for each other. All of a sudden, out of the blue, I get a phone call. Leroy Mack made the phone call. He says, uh, says you're a good picker, and we've noticed that you can sing baritone, bass, lead, tenor, whatever you've got to sing. And you seem to hear the parts. How would you like to come play bass for us? And I just 
kind of thought for a second, and I started to ask him if he'd like to fly to the moon with my mother. You know, it'd be about the same thing. How would I like to go play bass with them? And I says, well, you know, but me and Don Parmley, we're finally doing a few shows and picking around. And he says, you know, we can go find a bass player, but how do you teach him bluegrass? Here we got a bluegrass picker, and all he's got to do is learn to play the bass. And if you can play the banjo and the guitar, and he says, I was there one night when you were playing the piano. He says, I'm, I know you can play the bass. He says, well, it won't take you a minute. And he said, we'd really like to have you in the band. Well, more importantly, Roger, you were a great singer also. Well, I didn't know that at that point in time. <laughs> as far as being a great singer, I, all I did was sing. I sang my heart out. I tried to do it the way I felt it, and that was about it. Roland would try to tell me some things sometimes about my singing, and uh, it would usually sink in, and I'd try to do it the way he says. But if I didn't think about it, I just sang. And luckily, it worked out well. It did work and, out uh, well. Tell me about the clubs that you were playing out there. What was available? Well, there is a club called the Ash Grove. Mm-hmm. And the Ash Grove, we were extremely lucky. The guy that owned the Ash Grove, because we would go play for him, if, you know, he has an act that he's been advertising on radio and however he advertised, newspaper, and uh, coming to the Ash Grove, make sure you come to see us this night. We got this, that, and the other. And the afternoon before their show, they had to cancel because they broke down in New Mexico or something. And uh, so he'd call us up, come down and play. He'd pay us, but not much. And we would always show up. So he let us, we, we'd go down, that's where we rehearsed. We'd go down there and use his sound system, and that's where we practiced and learned our songs and stuff was on the stage at the Ash Grove. Mm-hmm. With that, that without an audience. That was coffee shop kind of situation? Coffee shop at that point in time, that's what it was called. Mm-hmm. Al- alcohol and all. But, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, Flat and Scruggs played there. Johnny Cash played there. I don't remember Bill Monroe ever being there. Heck, I remember when Willie Nelson played there. He wore a suit, a tie, and sang folk songs. Those were the old couple. days. This is 60. 1960. Yeah, I was 19 years old. I, was, I turned 20 in 1960, but, yeah, I was you know, I was just a kid. <laughs> you said they didn't pay you very much. Do you recall what the band would be paid for one one gig? I don't. I didn't. I didn't really handle that at that point in time. Later on, as things started happening, the bluegrass festival started being a thing, and uh, I sort of kept a log of where we've been, where we can go, where other people played. You know, wherever you go, if there's another band there, there's. Oh, we ought to try. You ought to call so and so, man. They they got a nice little room there. They can't pay a whole lot. But if you're traveling from east to west, it's a good place to stop, pick up gas money, sell a few pictures, and make some new friends and people to buy your albums and and uh, move on. So I had a little list, you know. We'd call up old Carlton Haney or whatever his name was and say, hey, we'll do you $1,000 a night for Friday and Saturday 
Or will you do, do your 2500 for all three days? Which back then was a lot of money for us, but uh, you know, it was a lot of money down. for everybody back then. <laughs> yeah, it was. And uh, so, if he hired us for the bluegrass festival that we were trying to get onto, then I'd start calling coffee houses at the colleges across the states and clubs that we knew where they liked bluegrass and where we could maybe get in, and we just work our way across for. You know, playing little college rooms that maybe held 80 people. But, you know, we might sell $100 worth of records. And, and we had a price. I think we did it for like $250 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe five if they held 200 So you were playing uh, across the country. You were in New York, Washington, North and South Dakota, Canada, folk festivals in Newport, Rhode Island, and at UCLA. Uh, and somewhere along there, Clarence, had an opportunity to see Doc Watson perform at the Ashgrove and even played with him at one time. And so I'm sure this developed uh, a lot of his skills. Um, and, of course, he's known. Yeah, well, I remember when Doc Watson came to the Ashgrove with, oh, I forget the guy that he came with. He wasn't he wasn't the act. He was with some other guy. That was his act. Mm-hmm. And, oh, we all just enjoyed his playing so much. Clarence, of course, just, you know, he's like a sponge. He just took it all in and would do the licks that he heard that he liked. He would do those. But uh, Clarence came around before Doc Watson. I mean, I, we used to practice. Uh, we did his shows that we could do, and then Roland got drafted. Well, that just kind of killed things because he sang all the lead and uh, he would sing lead and sing tenor on the chorus and I'd step in to sing lead and Clarence always sang baritone. That was our trio. And so I know the words to the choruses to almost every song there was, but I didn't know any of the, any of the verses because Roland always sang them. But we would practice Leroy and I and Clarence and Billy Ray trying to work things up. We would go play at the Ashgrove without uh, Roland. And uh, we were trying to learn all this stuff. And one day, they did a song. I didn't sing on it. Uh, it was a trio song. and But Billy and Leroy and Clarence sang it. Had been doing it that way for quite a while. And Clarence had practiced this one day. He says, let's do that song. And he never, he never voiced, let's do a song. And he says, I'm going to take Roland's break. And he took a break on the guitar that that day set him aside from everybody else. There's a lot of good pickers, but he, he, there came Clarence, mm. like a freight train. He just blew us away. And uh, then we did it that did that song at the Ash Grove, and everybody's just going, "Oh my God, where did that come from?" <laughs> and oh, what's his name, Ry Cooter, came down just to hear him do it. He heard somebody talking about it, and he was like, "Oh my God!" Of course, he was just a kid back then, but he was on his way. And uh, uh, in fact, I think his mom had to bring him down because he was too Is young. Is that to right? Cry. Yeah, he uh, that that was his start into it, and then of course Doc Watson just added uh, a wealth of stuff to it and feeling and 
things like that. And to stay alive, every Friday night, every Friday afternoon or Saturday morning, we would drive from where we lived. Uh, we kind of stayed around the San Fernando Valley area of California. We'd drive up to Bakersfield. And Those how far was that, Rogers? Rogers? Oh, how far? How far is Bakersfield from El Monte? I would call it a mink stole. <laughs> That's a fur piece. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's, uh, it was a ways. So, but anyhow, maybe two or three hours to get up there. I can't remember. Right. Well, so what was going uh, on in Bakersfield? Well, Every Sunday morning, there was a big W roundup, and Buck Owens was there sometimes. I think he owned the station. Buck Owens was there. Bonnie Owens was there, but I don't think she was with Buck Owens at that point in time. And, uh, oh, God, who was a steel player? Speedy West was still playing steel, and he was just fantastic. Uh a fiddle player named Jilly Sanders. It was just amazing. And then uh, Big W is Big W Furniture Stores or something like that. And uh, we had an announcer. I can't remember his name right now, but he was from, he used to be on KXLA here in, in L.A. And uh, he would get us into a station every once in a while and talk to us and let us play a little bluegrass. And uh, But anyhow, it was a real good show. And... We would do that with Joe Mathis every Sunday morning, mm-hmm. uh, but we would go up either Friday afternoon and go play on top of a snack bar to drive in theater for a little while, and we'd go over and do a yard sale that somebody hired us to play for, and might be a square dance and uh, our church gathering, whatever. And then uh, Saturday, we'd usually play someplace starting about noon. We'd usually be playing here and there. and. And uh, he had a little bus motorhome that uh, we all fit in with all our stuff. And we'd go up up the coast a little way, Santa Rosa, I remember playing there, in Lompoc. And uh, we'd do that Saturday. And then Sunday morning, we'd get up and go do that uh, TV show, come back to Joe's, have lunch, and bust on home. Who was the big car uh, used car lot guy? Cal, somebody. Cal Worthington. Cal's okay. Corral. Okay. We were on that too a lot. We that was one of the places we could play, and uh, and we did. And one of the, Cal's Corral, one of the biggest things in my little world. I just happened to step back behind a partition or something. I was I don't know where I was headed for or probably lost. Anyhow, I step back there, and about the time I step back, I hear this G chord on a guitar. Here's Willie Nelson and George Jones. And Willie Nelson started singing a song, and they were both cording, they were both cording guitars. And uh, George Jones, Willie Nelson started singing this song. And when it got to the chorus, George Jones stepped in and sang tenor to him. And I just almost fell over. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, wow. Wow. You know, uh, one question I have, because the Kentucky Colonels have two albums uh, that were released during those times, 
and uh, one of them was the new sound of Bluegrass America, and the other one was Appalachian Swing. But Appalachian there's a swing, lot of yeah. recordings uh, of you all now. My understanding is that you allowed your fans to come to clubs and just put those tape recorders right up on the stage and tape you. Is that correct? Well, one, one person in particular had a whole bunch of stuff, and I think Roland and him tried to make an album a time or two, or maybe they did. I believe they did. But, uh, and I can't remember his name right now, but, yeah, we, you know, we were just out there to get, see if we could go further. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to tape it and play it for your buddy in Germany, go right ahead. You know, that can only help us. So, yeah, we were pretty open about that. We didn't have a recording contract at that point in time. Johnny, Johnny Bond, that hot rod Ford. Uh, anyhow, Johnny Bond and Joe Maphis were both on that show in, in uh, Bakersfield, and we went by the name The Country Boys. They got to talking, you know, you boys ought to do an album. And, uh, well, yeah, but, you know, we don't, we're not on a label, and we don't have enough money to foot it ourselves. And Joe and Johnny told us that if we would change our name, uh, and to a name that they agreed with, that they would back us on an album. And that's, out of that came came uh, Bluegrass America. That's okay. when we changed our name to the Kentucky Colonels. I didn't like it. You know, here we got two guys from Maine, two guys from California, and a guy from Arkansas, and we're the Kentucky Colonels. <laughs> Why not? But, but... Johnny and Joe both said, "Hell, that's a nice name. That's that that kind of it's it's a good proper name, and it's got like a colonel authority to it. It's it's a good name, and it'll be just as good as you guys make it." And that kind of put us on the spot. So we decided, "Okay, it's up to us. Here we go." We we did that album. Leroy wrote a few of the songs that are on it, and you know. I, I, one of the songs that's on it is uh, just to prove my love to you. I'd swim the ocean blue. I'd wrestle a gator box of kangaroo just to prove my love to you. And it's got twin fiddle on it. That is on that album. But we did that in a in a, t- a radio station in Bakersfield. And Joe Mayfish played fiddle and... The fiddle player from the TV show, his name was Jilly Sanders. Those two played the twin fiddles on it, and we did the song right there. They recorded it right there in this radio station in Bakersfield, and then that went on the album, too. Well, it seems to me that being out in the Los Angeles area, you had something that the East Coast didn't have, and that was access to television and uh, in different forms, you've been on the Andy Griffith Show and, uh, and different things. And you were also in a movie, what was it called, The Farmer's Other Daughter? You played yeah. a backup. I was looking at a video of that this morning. So did you get called a lot for studio work? Uh, as a band, maybe not all that much. But, you know, if they wanted a bluegrass sound... You know, I think we usually got first call. Well, we always got first call till the Dillards came to town, and the Dillards, uh, 
it probably wasn't even split even. They probably got a little more than we did. And then, of course, they recorded, as soon as Roland got back from the service, we recorded that Appalachian Swing. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's everybody's here and Clarence play the guitar and uh, wanting more and more and more. Well, you know, things worked out as good as they could and as tragically as they could be as time went by. But uh, I know there at the end, which got Clarence started uh, with the electric guitar, we took a job because it was a job and they paid us money to do it. We took a job playing uh, music in the the bar area, dance room area, whatever, you know, the lounge area of a bowling alley. And we played in there. Uh, I bought an electric bass. Clarence bought a Telecaster. Roland played his mandolin into the microphone, and Billy Ray played rhythm guitar on my guitar. (laughs) Most of our songs that we did were uh, anything they would dance to that we knew, because all we knew was bluegrass at that time. It was slowly learned other songs and what was popular and not bluegrass, but well, they, they'll dance to bluegrass. And then people found out we were there, and then we started getting more of a bluegrass bluegrass audience in there. Interesting. Well, I don't want to let this go by without mentioning your um, MC work, which has always been terrific. How did you develop that? Without choice. Leroy, I think, did the bulk of it. And Roland would do what he could. He's, you know, he just he he, as far as being an MC, he wasn't. That wasn't his forte. And uh, back then, Clarence wouldn't even talk. I mean, nobody knew that he spoke until you get to know him off stage somewhere. And uh, but anyhow, we were doing a show someplace. I can't remember where. And I think Roland had just gotten drafted. And see, I, I have trouble remembering when Leroy quit. He he decided to leave, and I think that just kind of left me and Billy and Clarence. And we we did shows that way. And we were doing this one show, and I don't remember whether Leroy was there and says, "Well, you do the MC work because I'm not going to be here anymore. This is one of my last shows." And uh, whether he did that or whether he wasn't there and Clarence and Roland or uh, whoever was in the band at that time just looked at me and I just stepped up and started talking and found that was easy. So I did it from then on. And you also did it for the Country Gazette. For the Country Gazette, yes. Yes. Well, you made the show even more enjoyable uh, by, by doing your MC work. Now, will you be coming to Raleigh in the end of the month to accept this uh, great honor? Yes. We're going to arrive, it's the it's 26th, I think, which is a Thursday. Right. We will arrive Wednesday. You're going to have fun in Raleigh, and we're going to be glad to have you there. And, Roger, I don't, I don't want to keep you all day, but I, I, I really sincerely want to thank you for all the work and joy uh, that you've put into this music for the rest of us. I love I love doing it, so I guess maybe that came through, which helps. 
That was Katie Daly talking with Roger Bush, bass player for the Kentucky Colonels. The Kentucky Colonels will be inducted into the IBMA Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame at a ceremony during the IBMA Award Show on September 26, 2019 in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is Bluegrass Stories, and we are available on SoundCloud.com, Facebook, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and KatieDaily.com. I'm Howard Parker. Thanks for listening.